This episode is sponsored by QGive, a comprehensive fundraising platform trusted by over 20,000 fundraisers. Through online giving and event registration forms, text fundraising, peer-to-peer campaigns, and auction events, QGive's tools help fundraisers like you raise more. The QGive team understands that fundraising isn't always an easy job. To help, they recently surveyed fundraising professionals and donors to create a soon-to-be-released report, Building a Sustainable Future, a Guide to Healthy Fundraising. This report explores how the economy, staffing issues, declining donor numbers, and more have impacted nonprofit teams. To learn how you can build more sustainable fundraising revenue and advocate for data-backed change, head to jcsocialmarketing.com slash qgive, that's jcsocialmarketing.com slash qgiv, to be notified when the report is released and to receive your free copy. Thank you, and let's get to the episode. Hello, and welcome to Nonprofit Nation. I'm your host, Julia Campbell, and I'm going to sit down with nonprofit industry experts, fundraisers, marketers, and everyone in between to get real and discuss what it takes to build that movement that you've been dreaming of. I created the Nonprofit Nation podcast to share practical wisdom and strategies to help you confidently find your voice, definitively grow your audience, and effectively build your movement. If you're a nonprofit newbie or an experienced professional who's looking to get more visibility, reach more people, and create even more impact, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, my nonprofit unicorns. So excited to have you back for another episode of Nonprofit Nation. This is your host, Julia Campbell. And today we're going to talk all things sponsorships. So this is for you if you struggle with figuring out what's attractive to potential sponsors and how to position your organization for sponsorships. Now I have a special guest. It's Mariah Monique, and Mariah is the founder of the Sponsorship Catalyst, which teaches nonprofit leaders how to position, package, and pitch their events to corporate sponsors so they can eliminate self-funding events, we all want to do that, and increase their impact and reach. She's over 10 years' experience building strategic partnerships at the federal, county, and local government levels, as well as with nonprofit organizations. Now, as a so-called, quote-unquote, I love this, sponsorship gatekeeper, she understands what is attractive to sponsors and how to position organizations to secure funding through the power of words and strategy. She's elevated hundreds of sponsorship proposals and decks, contributed to the decision-making process for fund allocation, negotiated brand benefits, and built brand reputation and awareness through sponsorships and partnership strategy. And Mariah's motto is closing the knowledge gap so you can increase your impact. So welcome to the podcast, Mariah. Thanks for having me, Julia. Super excited to share today. Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) me too. So where did you start your nonprofit journey? So I would love to say that I started my nonprofit journey as one that would would receive, right, from growing up. I think Mm -hmm. that's why my heart is so pulled for the nonprofit community. But, you know, on a professional level, it really started from the beginning. After graduating college, I started working with the federal government 
and doing a lot of programmatic work. I am a public health professional by trade and so, or by education. And as I, you know, went through my journey or have been going through my journey, I've worked with nonprofit organizations, building those strategic partnerships. And now currently as an actual funder, I have really uh, honed in on taking what I know as a funder for nonprofit organization, large nonprofit organization, and really just helping other people understand how to navigate the sponsorship space. And so I feel like I've always had my my tentacles, if you will, uh, touching nonprofits. And um, I believe that because of my upbringing, right, and being blessed by nonprofit organizations and the value that they've given me, I also see it as really kind of a way of, of giving back to nonprofits, especially those that are serving marginalized communities or those that are already underrepresented or already under-resourced. It's really just helping them understand how to navigate this space as a stream of income for them, where they might not have realized that sponsorships should have been a part of their fundraising plan. So uh, my nonprofit journey is here. It's continuing. And um, I really don't see see it differently. Tell me about the sponsorship catalyst and the kind of work that you do. Yeah. So um, as you said in the intro, I teach nonprofit organizations how to understand, how to really position themselves um, to secure event sponsors, whether they be corporate or non-corporate. And really, you know, it it started in 2020 uh, as the shifts happened. You know, you had pandemic, you had racial climate, you had political climate, all in uproar. And so as a funder, I was tasked to go out and find particular type of organizations. So were my colleagues at different organizations that I, I know. And, you know, as I started to do that, I started to realize that people did not know one sponsorships existed or they did not know how to navigate the conversations. And I found myself honestly coaching people and spending a lot of time mm-hmm. on the front end telling them like, hey, like we have the money, just do this or write this or kind of put this together. And so it really just highlighted for me a need of why it's so important of what I do, just because there were so many people that I ran into that were not ready for the money that organizations were given. And in the event that something like this happens again, I just want organizations to be prepared because it's not just about the leader of that organization, but you're serving a whole community. And so to make sure that community does not fall flat, just because of lack of knowledge is really one of my driving forces. And so I started the sponsorship catalyst to really, like like you said earlier, close the knowledge gap so nonprofits would be ready, but also so they really could focus on building sustainable and long-term relationships with, with sponsors um, that would continually um, support their causes and their mission and help them move forward. So why sponsorships? Like what, what is so important for nonprofits to understand about the power and potential of sponsorships? That's an excellent question. So, you know, I think that having a fundraising plan is just important in general. But when you think about sponsorships, um, a few reasons. One, it's typically unrestricted funds really to support your initiatives, your events. And so, you know, it's a little different from grants where you have particular things you have to spend that money on. And so sponsorships are not like that. Um, Another thing that I want to share about that is because you also are essentially building long-term partnerships. And so it kind of goes beyond the money. So you're leveraging these, you know, larger organizations being a part of your brand, uh, participating in your brand or in your nonprofit organizations and really giving you 
essentially like a large reputation, right, within the community that you serve. And so I think sponsorships really does allow one to um, not only leverage the brands, but also build some long term relationships that as they have these new ideas to innovate and do other things, they would have already established good relationships with potential funders that can actually fund that work um, and ultimately, you know, lead into them being able to increase their impact and, you know, uh, have a greater reach within the community serving people. And so I think sponsorships has a unique place that is very different than like grants or very different from um, maybe even like capital campaigns and things of that nature. It really does allow you to partner with organizations and really build those relationships that could basically, you know, support your organization and really bring that longevity that I think most nonprofit leaders really truly want for their organizations. I love what you said about discretionary funds because it's so true. If we're relying on grants, especially government grants, there are so many hoops we need to jump through and so many boxes we need to tick and so many specific things we need to deliver on and reports and things like that. So I appreciate that discretionary income. I guess my question would be my next question. Are you talking more about, I mean, like, should we have a mix of sponsorships? Is there like event sponsorships and then would there be maybe a year long sponsorship? So what kind of sponsorships should we be focusing on? I think it really varies. It varies based on the organization that you're pitching to. The reason being is because some organizations, most organizations support only events. So when you're going after sponsorships, they're looking for events. They're not looking to support necessarily programs, which would fall more under a grant, right? More programmatic work, capacity building work. However, there are some organizations that do focus on, you know, supporting programs and initiatives. When I think about sponsorships, some organizations, they're okay with you sending a year-long sponsorship request. It really just depends on what your organization that you're pitching to, how they run their programs. And I think it's so important to, like, you know, as business owners, we do discovery calls or we do alignment calls. I think as nonprofit leaders, you have to have that same mentality. One, because you're a business, uh, you just have a different tax status. But two, having that same understanding that like, hey, I need to go to the sponsor, understand how their sponsorship program works, what is liable, what is not liable, and just asking those questions so you can gain insight that will essentially allow you or help you or support you in really building out something that would benefit or uh, get a yes from that particular sponsor. So if I put my funders hat on, I've seen people submit requests that are for year long uh, events. And while I'm not necessarily a fan of that, (laughs) because I feel that, you know, if you got several events, if you strategically pitch them to me, you know, one by one, you actually might have more money um, versus sending a year long request and, you know, you asking for $15,000 or $20,000, but you're giving me access to 10 events with an audience of, I don't know, maybe 3,500 per event. Like that's, that's huge. And so if you're going to get, if, mm-hmm. I, if you're going to get just 15,000 for that, I honestly would prefer that a nonprofit actually sends them individually. However, I do think that, you know, as a, a funder, we are taking that into uh, account, but we also are, are evaluating based yep. on what you submit to us. So we're not going to say like, oh, you know, actually separate this so that, you know, we can support yeah, 10K for all five events. So you get 50,000 as an organization versus like kind of asking for 15K for all these events. So I think it's really understanding what the sponsors program, like how they run that, understand what they will accept, what they won't accept. And then really thinking about like, what is your goal? What is your sponsorship goal? What's your budget needs? 
even thinking about, you know, people should be thinking about 2024. How do you want to expand? Are there new programs that you want to innovate that you want to start? Um, because I think that also will help you understand when you're pitching to a sponsor that when you're pitching to them that, you know, you need to ask for a little bit more just because of what's coming in the horizon. So it's really going to be based off of what that organization, how they run their sponsorship program. Playing the long game. Yes, you that. have to. You have So to. what do we need to start? Like, do we need, obviously we probably need a website. What are some other th- infrastructure needs? So I always encourage people to um, create sponsorship materials. That's what I work with a lot of my clients um, with creating sponsorship decks specifically for their events that they want to pitch. But even before you get to that point, because I do have a lot of organizations that are smaller and they're hosting events and they want to get them sponsored, but they don't have a true consistent audience or they're not collecting data, which is huge. I find that, you know, that's actually one of the many mistakes organizations make is they mm-hmm. they omit the data. Um, they feel like they're too small or they feel like they're not doing enough. And so I just really, I spend a lot of time working on mindset and helping people understand the value that they add to their, their organization or to the community and helping them frame that data to where it is still impactful, whether it's small or not. And so really thinking about where you are in terms of like your stages, right? And so if you're like a smaller organization, really brand new, you just really need to work on building that consistent audience, but also work on just networking and building relationships with not only sponsors, but just strategic partners that you can leverage and partner Mm -hmm. with in the future. Because I think that it makes it a lot more stronger in the long run when you do get to the point where you can start seeking out sponsors. Now, I never tell people that you can't, even if you're small, because I've supported organizations that, you know, didn't have any events. They just kind of sold it with passion. We believe them and, you know, they execute it very well. And so, you know, sometimes organizations will take a shot on you. So I don't want to, you know, communicate that like you can never get a sponsorship, but I think you just have a little bit more positioning when you've built an audience and not to say this audience needs to be 500 people or 5,000 people, you know, we're not thinking about it from the Instagram terms. We're really thinking about like, you know, Mm -hmm. do you have a consistent number of programmatic partners? Another thing is that oftentimes people don't have programs. And so, you know, you start these nonprofits because you have a heart, you see a need in the community. And I completely, you know, commend that. But it's like you have to solidify beyond getting your 501c3, beyond getting, you know, somewhat of a website up. You have to really solidify what are your what's your programming, Um, really understanding that and then having these events that can support that programming. Because otherwise, you know, the sponsor, yeah, you might be able to pull enough people out. But if you don't probably have programming, you're probably not pulling that many people out to an event where they can gain that brand exposure that they're looking for. So for those, you know, smaller orgs, just really working on building those relationships, get your organization, whether you're, it's your board member or maybe you have one staff, start building a culture now of being intentional with networking, um, being intentional with following up. Oh my gosh. Like so many people don't follow up and it's a huge, it's a huge, huge mistake that most people make, especially if, you know, you have, you have a connection with the sponsor because one, it's challenging to get those connections. So when you have them, you know, really honor them, really steward them, really, you know, work to cultivate those relationships because it's, it's not the easiest task. And then for those organizations that are maybe mid-sized, maybe even larger, and they've done this before, it's really going to be really understanding 
one, putting the right materials together, and two, really getting to the point where whoever your fund development person is, that they understand that they have to go beyond their relationships. Sometimes these things are secured mm-hmm. because of relationships, which I think is awesome. But if that person leaves and then you don't have any other relationships to that organization and it was only riding off of that one person, now you've got to basically start from zero. So I think it's important to ensure that other people within an organization know how to go about getting sponsors, but then there's a standardized way of what that looks like. What do we do? We create the deck yep. for the event. What do we do? We send it out, you know, maybe in batches. Maybe we do, maybe we got a list of 10 potential sponsors and we do, you know, 10 a day or whatever that looks like to make sure it's not like a overwhelming task. Um, and then just what does it look like to... Once they say yes, like what is what does our process look like for that? How are we acknowledging them? I mean, I think the stewardship matrix, if people are familiar with that, like it's a great way to understand like when you get a donor, whether they be a sponsor or individual donor, like how are you acknowledging and honoring what they have given to your organization? And then you think about from the post event, what are you doing to ensure that there's some sponsor loyalty? I call it the sponsor loyalty cycle. And, you know, most people, they forget to follow up and say, hey, this is how the event went. These are the numbers. This is how we executed on the brand benefits that, you know, we agreed that we would give you. People don't follow up with that. No one gives a (laughs) follow-up report. No one gives a report at the end of the event. They don't give a report. And really it's a, it's a critical time to not only report what happened and how you fulfilled the benefits and, you know, how many people came out, but also it's a time for you to say, Hey, would this be a event that you'd be interested in next year? You kind of get a soft or preliminary Mm -hmm. yes, or you can start having this conversation with a sponsor to even just understand, hey, how can we do better to even serve your sponsors? Because as a nonprofit organization, you're in the middle and you're serving the people that fund your organization and you're serving the people that you serve. And so you really have to have this balancing act where, if you will, where you are making sure that both parties are getting what they need because one is funding the work that you're doing for one, but then the other is being transformed just by them being a part of what you're doing. And so I know that was a mouthful. Hopefully I've answered the question, Uh, but yeah, (laughs) definitely different stages require different things. That's such a great point. So if a nonprofit's thinking about creating a pitch deck, a sponsorship Mm -hmm. deck, or maybe they're looking at revamping their deck, what are the critical elements that they need to include? Awesome. So a sponsorship deck for anyone who does not know, it's really like a PowerPoint presentation. It can be in the format horizontal or vertical. I see, I've seen them both. They're typically between five to 15 pages. However, sweet spot is about seven to 10 pages. So don't go to 15. I'll tell you that we're not going to read it. I was going to ask you how (laughs) long do they need to be? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, usually I, you know, the most that I typically see usually are no more than 11 pages, but standard is five to 15. And sometimes they're longer because maybe it's like a festival and festivals, you kind of are selling everything. And so those are typically a little bit longer than like a fundraising gala or a community health fair or a community fair or a luncheon. There's a, those are a little bit shorter. So in terms of elements, you always want to make sure that the front end of your sponsorship deck has event logistics. You know, you want to mm-hmm. be able to say, what's the title? When, when is the event going to happen? Where is it happening? What time is it happening? Very clear, concise information just about your event. Then you want to go into um, helping the reader understand, well, who are you? Um, who is your leadership? Mm-hmm. 
then you want to kind of talk about, you know, more about your specific event that you will be pitching to a sponsor. And the reason you want to be, you want to have kind of, kind of this order is because sometimes you're not able to pitch to a sponsor. Sometimes they say, we've got a website, go to our website and fill out the information and attach your email or send an email. And so, you know, sometimes you're not able to get on a phone call with these people. And so you want to make sure what's in your deck is very clear, concise. This is not a grant. Grants are very wordy. Um, and so mm-hmm. you want to be very clear. Mm-hmm. You want to be very this concise. This is not a full grant proposal. <laughs> it's not 10,000 words. Yes. And you want to talk about your event. What is the event? What are you going to have at the event? And then the part where you know a lot of people miss is talking about the audience data. If this is a recurring event, I would hope that you collected some data, whether it be how many people showed up, whether it be maybe even how many um, sponsors you had before. Maybe it, maybe you've collected data on the percentage of maybe conversions for sponsors. Like for instance, you might know just because you're you are sending those follow ups and you are having those conversations with your sponsors after your event. You might know that you know most of like ten percent of your sponsors got an increase you know, by 50% in, you know, customer sales, whatever that number looks like for them. I think you should be collecting that data as well to understand how you can pitch and really show the value and the potential return on investment for a sponsor that has, that is new to your ecosystem, but also to a sponsor that is returning. So they can see that there is value, especially if they didn't maybe have that experience the first time around. And so you want to have data on that. You want to definitely have your audience data. What's the age range? What's the demographics? What's the interest? Sometimes people just talk about the demographics, but we don't talk about the psychographics. And psychographics are really focusing Mm. in on What's your audience interest? What's their personality? What do they value? And it's just data that really stands out because not a lot of people talk about it. We just talk about demographics. And so when you think about those things, those things require you to go beyond the surface level. Demographics can be very surface level. You know, you can kind of easily get that information, but to understand the psychographics of your audience, like you got to really ask questions. You know, you have to really understand, you know, their behaviors. Um, When you think about it, like, for instance, let's say you have an organization and you support college students and your college students are all graduating seniors that are about to enter into the workforce. So now you can have some demographics to say, well, my college students are actually very specific. They're in technology. So it makes sense for a technology organization to get in front of that audience because they're young, they're, they got fresh eyes, they, they're in technology. What else would it make sense mm-hmm. to have at that event? Maybe some people are looking into home ownership or maybe mm-hmm. even creating other mm-hmm. streams of income. Maybe they need a new bank, right? As they transition from college yep. to working professionals. And so, you know, really thinking outside of the box with sponsors that can actually support your audience, pretty much bringing an experience for both the sponsors and the audience. So the data can be many different types of data. So you're going to want to have that in your debt. You also are going to want to share information about like, what are the benefits of a sponsor supporting you? Like, what is their potential return? And this can look like maybe it's going to generate new sales or maybe they're going to be able to uh, test out a new product or service and get some real insight from the audience. And so you want to be able to share some of those different things. And really, they're really standard. There's not a whole lot of difference um, between the benefits. Um, And so you want to just be able to highlight some of those. And you might tailor them based off of the specific sponsor. For instance, if you're able to talk to a sponsor and you know that they just have a a new product that they want to get out 
and they want to, you know, do some product sampling. Well, one, I'm going to offer that as a brand benefit that you can have your product sampling here, maybe at an even higher level. Right. And so understanding what their goals are, can help you understand how you can offer the brand benefits, but also it helps you understand how you can position that sponsorship deck so that you can say, Hey, this is a benefit to you because we've got your audience. You've got this new product. You can test it here and, and get that feedback. So it's really just how you position it. Then after you talk about benefits to a sponsor, mm-hmm. you want to talk about what are the sponsorship opportunities. And I, I love to pepper throughout a uh, sponsorship deck pictures of you actually doing the work, right? Maybe it's a previous event and you have pictures from the past events. So add pictures, add testimonials, because you're talking to three people. When someone is looking at your deck, you're, think- you're talking to your thinkers. They want to see the numbers. They're very subjective. They're making their decisions based off of data. Um, you're talking to your fillers. Mm-hmm. They're moved by mm-hmm. compelling stories. And so you, you're going to want to have some of those transformative testimonials, if you will, from your audience, just talking about how their interaction with you really transformed their life to some degree. And then you have your deferrers. Your deferrers are not necessarily your thinkers or fillers, but they're really focused on brand reputation. If we tag along to this organization, is our brand reputation going to you know, match up? Is it going to align? Is it going to still be protected? And so that's what they're looking at. And so you might get mm-hmm. one person that is kind of all three of those. Like I myself am really all three of those. I fall more in the thinker mm-hmm. side because I love numbers, but you know, you mm-hmm. give me all of it, you're going to you're going to pull me in in one way or the other. And that helps that that yeah. gatekeeper essentially advocate for you for other decision makers that are part of that process. So, a mouthful, let me go back to what should be in the deck, the key elements. So, of course, you have your sponsorship opportunities which would be your levels. I actually have a freebie that I just released a week or so ago Mm -hmm. that is a brand benefits list called what to offer your sponsors or what sponsors want. Yes. It is a list that really kind of highlights and categorizes different brand benefits based off of like value. So for instance, a sponsor, we expect that logos are going to be on things. And so you have a logo on something that's more of a lower tiered valued brand benefit versus like, I'm going to pay more money for a speaking opportunity. Why? Because I want to position my organization as an industry thought leader. And so, you know, this list kind of gives a spectrum, if you will, of what's higher value than others. Now I do encourage people to mix them up. You know, you don't have to just give the lowest tier people, (laughs) you know, all the low benefits and all the high tier people, all the high tier benefits, but you want to be able to have a mixture and what that looks like for you could be different from another organization organization because you have to do these based off Mm -hmm. of what your capacity is to execute on it. So you have your brand benefits in your sponsorship opportunities. And then you just really kind of close out with, you always want to have a contact page. People leave off the contact pages. And I don't know if it's because, you know, if I send it to you an email or if I fill out, you know, a form, then you already got my contact information. But there have been times that I've received a sponsorship deck or an ax through a listserv. And if their contact information was not on there, I wouldn't have known who to reach out to. And so it's definitely important that the tail end of your deck has contact information, websites, where can I find you, your number, who is the contact person, maybe what are your social links so that I may see those things, especially if you're offering me a brand benefit that talks about social media, like I want to see what's on there. And does my, my, you know, my brand align with what you're putting out there on social media. So I know that was a lot. 
there's a lot of psychology, I think, that goes behind creating a sponsorship deck. Yes. But then there's also just some technical things that are just very standard when you're creating that type of material. So hopefully you all got a lot from that. <laughs> I'm sure people were frantically scribbling down notes. So <laughs> you talked about incentives yeah. and I love that you said that it needs to be personalized or customized depending on the yeah. sponsor. So how to best acknowledge sponsors. I mean, unfortunately, what I've seen, it's like nonprofits post a logo on their website and then they'll post a logo on social media and then that might be it. So do you have any like other ways that we can maybe acknowledge our sponsor relationships and like build and deepen these relationships? Yeah. So I think that's kind of a twofold question. So in terms of acknowledging them at the actual event, that brand benefit is, list is going to answer that. But I will say, you know, other ways that that I've seen where it's like, maybe there's a a logo on the newsletter and you have a really substantial, you know, newsletter or email list, right. Of subscribers. I've seen press releases, right. That's a brand benefit to be in a press release. I've seen, you know, Mm -hmm. people verbally recognized at an event. Now, sometimes you may decide I'm only going to verbally recognize the top two tiers and not everybody. And <laughs> that is okay. Whatever you decide to do. I've also seen people acknowledged in ways that maybe there's opportunities for like co-branded like social media lives to where you can kind of you can kind of engage with this sponsor promoting your event, but also engaging with the sponsor because again, while you're doing that, you're also getting exposed to their audience as well. And so I've seen that happen a lot. Even co-branded, you know, promo items, you know, where those things are being able to, you know, pretty much highlight both brands, or it could just be, Hey, you give them an opportunity to provide a promo item to your swag bag, which is a very Mm -hmm. easy way to build a swag bag without you having to put a lot of money into it. You know, there are several different ways you can acknowledge a sponsor. Now, when it comes to cultivating relationships and sustaining those relationships, I think about sponsorships just like, it's not just a one-off one and done. Shouldn't be, shouldn't be a one-off. Sponsorships definitely should feel like a win-win situation. I think that keeps both parties coming back. And, you know, I look about I look at it like dating. So you go through these stages of dating where maybe you're courting or getting to know, you know, somebody. Then you're dating, which, you know, you're trying to figure out like, hey, is this gonna work? You're learning a little bit more about each other. And then there's like, you know, mm-hmm. potentially an engagement. And they're like, you know, I'm ready to jump in this boat with you. Like, I want to be a part of your your organization. I want to be a part of your events. And then you get to this point where there's an actual marriage. I think about marriage as like a partnership, which means that they are writing you in their budget. They know every year they're going to support you, right? Unless some things changes like leadership and things of that. But like, for the most part, they are looking at you as a long-term partner in this work. Commitment. Yes, yes, you have that commitment. And so I really think that most people, most nonprofits, they skip the stages of building a relationship because they want to get straight to yes. like the engagement and the marriage. You cannot do that. Um, we feel that as funders um, because oftentimes the behavior is they'll only come to us when they want to ask, ask for money versus like getting to know mm-hmm. the person. I teach a, a model in my, my business where it's like relationship first, business second. And just understanding that like you have to get your sponsorship gatekeeper you got to know a little bit of personal things about them, right? Because that's your champion. They become your champion when you build a relationship with them and it's authentic and it's genuine. 
it should never come off as like, you know, I just, you know, I'm trying to do this, this small talk because I need to get the money. If you're doing that and you feel that in your spirit, then just take a step back. It's just not time yet. Right. And really assess what that looks like for you. And so when I think about this stage of building relationship, never skip the stages. Right. You really, truly want to get to know that sponsor Mm -hmm. and understand, again, understand how their program works now, sometimes you might get sponsor, a sponsorship and maybe you've never met the sponsor. And I think that's OK. But once they're in your ecosystem, do the due diligence to make those calls, to check in with them and say, hey, you know, thank you. And then getting to know that person, that gatekeeper, because I tell you, in 2020, a lot of organizations, you know, people who actually have relationships with them, if there were any other money that was available, they were coming to the people who had built relationships with them. You know, so true and so true. And so you can't skip those stages. I think it's going to be very, very critical. And so when I also think about like cultivating those relationships and what happens afterwards. So again, doing a fulfillment report after their event is a a way to build those relationships because you get to kind of ask for their feedback. You get to say, hey, can we hop on a 20 minute call? Mm -hmm. I'd love to know your feedback. Asking a sponsor for advice about a particular thing you want to maybe do. Just bringing them into the the process, if you will, is a way to build relationships. Also think if you if you see any news about the organization on the news. So let's say, for instance, they, you know, the news put out an article that said, hey, this organization gave 20 million dollars to homelessness. Jump on that and say, Mm -hmm. wow, like, hey, I just saw that Mm -hmm. your such and such organization gave 20 million dollars to homelessness. Like. Wow, that's so amazing. Like, or saying, like, how does how does your role play a part in that? Again, building relationship. It's no different than building a romantic relationship. Seeing or people. Yes. You have to see people and you have to like be- they're they want to be seen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so there are definitely different ways to build a relationship, maintain a relationship. And then the last thing I would say for that is making sure you're honoring your commitments. I have funded organizations and they said they will do X, Y, and Z and they did nothing and thousands of dollars down the drain that could have went to another organization, which is why I say you have to be ready, right? Like understand what stage that you're at, not that you can never secure a sponsor at any stage, but understand the stage that you're at and understand if you truly have the infrastructure to steward the money and steward the relationship. That's going to be really, really critical because if you don't, Mm -hmm. they won't come back. So, you know, while you love your community and you want to do more for your community, you know, you potentially could tarnish a relationship that can help you continue to serve that community. So make sure you're stewarding those relationships well. Mariah, the knowledge download has been (laughs) amazing. (laughs) Wow. So where can people find more about you? Where can they get the what to offer your sponsors checklist, um, some of your other resources? Yeah. So if you go to uh, www.thesponsorshipcatalyst.com, then you will, um, there's a pop-up where you can access the freebie. You Mm -hmm. also can see different services that I offer to clients. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn at the sponsorship catalyst, as well as Instagram Mm -hmm. at the sponsorship catalyst as well. And Jumping over on the YouTube train. Um, So that is also. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love watching YouTube videos. You have a YouTube channel? I do. I have a few shorts, but I need to actually record those videos. So uh, I'm going to start doing some short, short clips of education. I used to do a lot of that on Instagram, but now just moving over to the YouTube platform to produce some, some short clips about, you know, educational sponsorship things. So yeah, you can find me over there as well. Well, thank you so much. So it's the sponsorship catalyst follow across all the platforms. 
I will put all of this information into the show notes. And I think my key takeaways are strategy, intention, mm-hmm. and looking at it as the long game, not oh, just yeah. looking at it as transactional, like mm-hmm. let's get this one-off $1,000 sponsorship. Yep. Let's build this relationship and let's make this a win-win yep. for the sponsor and the nonprofit. Yep. I love that. Absolutely I love, love that. it. Think it's fantastic. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is just such an important topic also because yeah. so many organizations, small and large, struggle with yeah. why can't we find nonprofit? Why can't we find sponsors? When we get a sponsor, why what do we do with them? Like yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. almost like having a baby. Like, what do we do with this baby? <laughs> so yes. this was really amazing. Um, thank but thank you. you so much, Mariah. And I will definitely put all the links into the podcast show notes. And I hope people connect with you on LinkedIn and and download the what to offer your sponsor freebie. So thanks so much for sharing your expertise with my audience. Thanks for having me, Julia. This was fun. I appreciate you. (laughs) Well, hey there. I wanted to say thank you for tuning into my show and for listening all the way to the end. If you really enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. I would love if you left me a rating or a review because this tells other people that my podcast is worth listening to. And then me and my guests can reach even more earbuds and create even more impact. So that's pretty much it. I'll be back soon with a brand new episode, but until then... You can find me on Instagram at Julia Campbell 77. Keep changing the world, you nonprofit unicorn.